Welcome to The Pot of Gold, where we talk all things precious metals and their markets. Today, we look at how gold is treading water ahead of next week's FMOC. We ask, how high can the dollar index actually go? And is the Federal Reserve Bank going to be cutting rates come 2023? I'm your host, Shay Russell, and joining me today is Nick Frappel, ABC Refinery's Global Head of Institutional Markets. Nick, how are you, mate? Extremely well, thanks, Shay. Extremely well. Now, we are recording this podcast on Friday, the 22nd of July, and that date is important because we have the Federal Reserve Bank meeting, I think, a week from now, less than a week from now, isn't it, Nick? That's right. So this podcast podcast will reach you before that meeting actually happens, but the reason why we wanted to have this uh, chat before the Federal Reserve meeting is we think we've got a short and sharp update this week. It's been a slow news week in markets, but nonetheless, uh, gold positioning and open interest uh, is a little bit revealing ahead of the Federal Markets Open Committee. Tell me, Nick, what is gold doing at the moment? So gold has um, dropped to an overnight low of about 1680, 1681 in US dollar terms. Um, that's kind of played out some of the downside targets, the nearby down, downside targets that we expected in this latest bearish phase. Um, it's then pinged sort of fairly sharply higher today on really, as you say, not much news, but perhaps um, if you look at the positioning of particularly the sort of fresh shorts that have arrived in the last, pretty much the last month, there's probably quite a lot of money to be taken off the table, so that probably explains um, gold's kind of you know willingness to to uh, move higher in a limited way, but certainly quite sharply. Um, what is going on in terms of the major drivers? Well, as you mentioned, head of the FOMC, the Fed is um, kind of in perda news-wise. Can't really talk about <laughs> a lot, so that's taken away some of the, the some some of the news flow. What we're seeing in terms of the broad dollar is that having gone to a recent local high of just over 109, um, the dollar has just slightly weakened a bit and lost, um, lost upward momentum. That obviously is, is relatively helpful to gold. I think it came back roughly two, two and a half percent, um, on, in dollar index terms. Uh, on the US, uh, Treasury infl- infl- inflation protected yield, the, the real yield, if you like, um, 10 year yield has kind of moved sideways. Um, the, it's probably trading rel- in a relatively uh, thin manner. But, um, interestingly, if you look at the last candle, the breakup, uh, yesterday, um, the, the yields rejected that high quite quickly, but effectively it's kind of trailing sideways to slightly lower after the recent um, local high. So both of those things are helping alleviate pressure of gold. Dollar is still really high. Real yields are still really high, but momentum, they're just dialing it back a bit and that's helping gold um, have a bit of a breather. The other thing is, which I think I mentioned last time, is that we've still got a relatively um, a lot of a fair bit of open interest on the seventeen hundred US dollar uh, Comex strikes. So they roll off at the end of next week, around about the same time as the FOMC news comes out, um, and that for the time being will have a tendency to keep us a little bit pinned to the uh, band around seventeen hundred dollars itself. That, that, there's certainly a bit of influence there. In terms of what the FOMC expectations are, um, futures uh, market is pricing in about uh, 
just around about a three quarters of a percentage point rate rise. And that is pretty much where the Fed talk had kind of led the market to expect and futures don't seem to be expecting um, anything wildly different from that at this point. How's managed money positioning itself ahead of the F, uh, FMOC? Are we seeing an increase in net shorts by any chance? Um, I've, I've got a. I'll, I'll tell you, but I've got to give you this sort of um, caveat, if you like, that um, because we're doing it today, we haven't got the latest download for last Tuesday, so it's a little bit <clears throat> oldish information, um, but hopefully still has some relevant points. The gross managed money longs um, went down on the 12th of July. Their latest um, figure is about just under 9.2 million ounces. That is actually fairly um, fairly low. That is uh, um, hasn't been that low since um, April of 2019, I think, if my uh, look back is correct. Um, on the short side, we've seen a, a sort of a, a a, a sequence of increasing shorts, roughly of about the same size each week. They're just knocking out about 1.1, 1. 1, 1. Uh, sort of 2 million ounces uh, fresh shorts each week. And it's interesting if you look at, you know, going back to my previous comment, if you look at the volume weighted average, the price where those shorts are being established, um, they're really, really at great levels. So the three on the 28th of June, 1.13 1. million ounces of fresh shorts, 18. 33, then the next week, uh, average price of 1806, then after that, 1750. So an aggregate just under $1,800 for the, for the previous three weeks of selling. Those shorts in aggregate are looking great down here, just over $1,700. Probably explains why the market was a little bit quick to um, ping back higher when it could, um, because there'll be people who are quite happy to take um, at least some money off the table. Um, basis the you know hundred hundred uh, uh, plus dollar drop uh, in average you know since those shorts were put on. Now with the uh, recent falls this week, uh, tell me, did you bring your latest Ichimoku cloud or point and figure to today's podcast? I I'd did. be very interested um, to see I, what they're telling us about gold. I, I, I think that in terms of the Ichimoku cloud, we're uh, we're fairly long way from anywhere that's super significant, except perhaps um, on the daily. Uh, turning line. Uh, I think we're we're just pushing past resistance there. This um, the, the, so the move overnight is sort of interacting, as I like to say, with that line. Um, what we are seeing, if you look at the weekly candles as part of the weekly weekly um, cloud chart, if you look at the weekly candle, if we close here or above, um, we'll have what looks like a, a hammer candle. And if the price moves higher next week, if it moves higher next week, then that will tend to form. Um, a strong suggestion of a trend reversal. So the recent um, multi-week drops that we've seen could actually, um, there's, you know, there's, that candle is definitely worth watching. But at the moment, it's shaping up into a hammer. That's good. Um, moving on to point and figure, what is point and figure uh, telling us about potential targets and so on? Well, pretty much all the downside targets and uh, the, the the lowest target on the um $2 box size without going into a huge jargon-laden kind of uh, uh, exposition on point and figure. Um, it was 1686, and uh, last night's um, low was about 1681. Um, now, the swift recovery from that level has created a target back up to 1760 in the reasonably short term, and also 1730. So um, as far as we stay above last night's um, low, 1681, say call it 1680, 
um, those are the sort of bull case pus- uh, pu- you know, upside targets for for um, for for spot gold at at the moment. There is still a um, a, a bigger horizontal target down to sixteen fifty. Um, that target will be eliminated if we go above if gold rises above say sixteen seventeen twenty four, which is not that far away. So look, um, there's certainly signs of consolidation, but I kind of think that seventeen sixty level would become a lot easier um, if the markets remains above sixteen eighty one through next week until post option expiration, because then you'll get that kind of slight magnetic attraction will will disappear or be weakened. Uh, Nick, further proof of why the point and figure is the chart to go to when, as you say, it touched down, it pointed out it was, there was a price target of 1682 and the market just touched on 1681 overnight. I absolutely yeah. love this. All right, moving on to silver. Look, Nick, silver can't catch a break. There's nothing that you can – we know, I know we talked about in last week's podcast is that uh, retail demand for small bars does seem to be quite strong right now. Uh, but with the spot price under $20 US per ounce – oh, I didn't even look before we came on. I believe it's near on $18 per ounce at the moment. Yeah. Let's, let's look right. at what's happening with copper uh, – sorry, not copper, although I think that might be part of the story today. What is going on with silver? Is there any clear direction or is the clear direction the one we don't want to talk about and that is that it's down? Well, there are big long-term targets to around about this level and and below and below. The the targets down below are sufficiently far away. Um, they're down at the sort of 14, 15 level that perhaps they're not strictly relevant for a conversation that, you know, we'll we'll have our next conversation, you know, hopefully next week. And I don't think silver will be anything like that low. Now, the copper is part of that definite part of that uh, silver story. Um, and we'll look again uh, next week at how coffer, copper has uh, kind of evolved during the course of, uh, you know, we look at uh, the LME three-month rolling copper forward as uh, a good sort of guide um, to, to sort of silver's behavior. And they've worked really well together um, sort of for quite some time now. So perhaps the clue that um, that we should have been looking at maybe a, a month or so ago or two months ago, perhaps when, uh, when I was calling uh, silver uh, much higher incorrectly. <laughs> Um, the silver in terms of, uh, the, the, the silver price, the recent price action, kind of like basing a little bit, um, implies a move back up at least above 19. Now, that's not necessarily, um, exciting for people who are in there for the long term, but we are seeing an element of, of basing action. And if we get above, say, 1920, that would suggest, um, moves, you know, uh, sort of certainly higher 20 and so on. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's that copper is important. Looking at managed money positioning in silver, and again, this is up to the 12th of, 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 of July, um, managed money longs are 185 and a half million, roughly. Uh, shorts have grown a little bit uh, to 200, roughly 238 million ounces. And that leaves the net position at about 52 million, negative 52 million ounces. It's been significantly shorter at various points in the past, but this is as short as it's been for a very long time. And to give you a uh, a sense of the outflow of silver from the managed money kind of CTA sector, mm-hmm. if you look at uh, the positioning in, uh, let's look at the 12th of April, so um, April, May, June, July, um, not so long ago, 
203.6 million ounces long net we've now gone to 52 million so 256 million ounces of outflow um and etfs likewise have seen uh something like 79 million almost 80 million ounces of outflows year to date um that's a, that's a real sort of you know vote against um it's a substantial amount almost two and a quarter thousand tons of silver flowing out of the um silver etf market so it's it's not just futures managed money players who are you know um, fund managers it's also people who are managing funds or, or their own money uh, via the etf space it's um it's a fairly substantial uh sort of net net outflow um of, of the silver space it, it probably um that, that's not to say that uh that that's it's difficult to call a point where that would end but i think it's such a substantial flow that you might expect again um some of this is predicated on recessionary expectations that are feeding through to um to copper which is reasonably well correlated with silver uh some of those expectations and fears might be um a little bit over uh overemphasized as a theme so you know let's see where this goes and let's return to this next next week and we certainly shall. But before we get on to what's happening next week, I would like to shift the portion, uh, also the macro portion, macro analysis portion of our conversation. One day I'm going to learn to get my words out first go. But <laughs> we're going to talk about Fed rate expectations. Now, um, I feel like this has been a dominant topic for us uh, in the past couple of weeks, or, you, or past couple of months, I should say, but you really did sum it up best back in June when we were t- uh, in Sydney together, is that it's dominating the markets, uh, the, the talk the most, because it is the market that matters the most right now. Now, the Federal uh, Reserve Bank, as we know, is meeting next week, but you were um, looking at terminal rate expectations leading into next year. And I believe that uh, in one of my notes that I've got here, you mentioned that the Fed, the market's starting to anticipate that the Fed is going to start decreasing rates uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, certainly if you look at um, expectations via um, uh, US futures um, markets, then the terminal rate at the moment the terminal rate expectations priced um, priced that way is about three point four percent, just just under three and a half percent, and that's in roughly that is in Q one of, of of next year. That's where the curve peaks. After that, you see a gentle roll off. Um, the gentle roll off goes from about just shy of three and a half percent currently uh, down to just just below three percent, maybe. Two point seven five percent, sort of by um, by 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 the beginnings of perhaps twenty twenty four that uh, that level that area, uh, certainly through November of um, November and December of of next of twenty twenty three, you're seeing um, rate expectations dip below three percent, and I guess that tells you, you know, the Fed um, and the U.S. economy was the quickest. And the first to tighten, certainly the first to tighten, and that's, and you've seen that that outcome in terms of uh, yield differentials between the U.S. dollar and other major currency pairs have seen the dollar um, broad dollar strength absolutely rocketing. But it also makes sense that, that if it's the first in, very well, well maybe the, the first out of the tightening phase and the first into a, an easing phase, it's not easing by a lot, but seventy five basis points, which is 
that's what the market expectation to put into context 75 basis points of easing between q1 and q4 of next year that's equivalent to the expected rate rise next week so it's not a lot of easing and it certainly won't be a lot of easing for a um a nation that's uh seen um you know the housing market there is looking pretty vulnerable and also interestingly enough um, and i might put this in the next uh next uh market report uh, monthly report if you look at people's credit card spending um, and short-term financing that is really ballooned um it's way higher in real terms than uh, for example it was in the gfc so there's a lot of interest rate sensitivity going on there um and three and a half percent terminal rate um say uh going down to sort of just below th- sub three percent that's still pretty pretty expensive and that's st- that's still a fairly big shock to households and to corporate borrowers um you know compared to what we've seen in the last well the last several years um, while we are talking all things Federal Reserve and US, uh, I want to just circle back a little bit to the dollar index. Uh, now, obviously, interest rate rises uh, and the tightness and the you know the US sorry the Fed tightening before well, tightening faster than most economies has given this incredible strength to the US dollar. Uh, and as you said at the start of today's conversation, the DXY is up at 109. Uh, I do believe, though, uh, somewhere on one of your point and figure charts, there is a very high target expected by the DXY to that may, that might be reached. Have you yeah, got that chart actually, hanging by any chance? I'm glad you mentioned that, yeah, because we, we talked about it and then I didn't mention it earlier. So glad that you circled back to that yeah so this is not a this is a point figure (laughs) this is uh this is actually a the good thing about this target is it's actually not that far away um it's uh so if i recall correctly it's on the daily half a percent log point and figure for dxy and it's a target that was created a little while back that goes up to um 111 and a half given that we've gone to what 109 spot three something um that is not a hugely um, sort of difficult uh, gap to bridge to get to 111 and a half. Um, and given that, you know, the DXY weakness <clears throat> this week has only been a little bit of a step back. So the interesting thing there is whether uh, that uh, target is reached and what it means for the DXY at that level. It's the, the DXY is at that point would be hitting um, very, very long, sort of like, I think roughly 20 year. 20 if you look back 20 years this is this is past resistance for the dxy and it's also past support about 22 years ago or 21 years ago so these are you know pretty key levels but yeah 111 and a half might be interesting and you know always think that when a big target like that is reached you know the market kind of um sort of can subside and go back in the other direction a little bit still waiting to see if that happens on the dollar yen a uh, comment I made a couple of weeks ago when I said that there was a very um, a large target made quite a few years ago, if I recall rightly, to 137.51. And now I think we're, we've just exceeded that by uh, 1.5%. In massive terms, 1.5% isn't you know, like a huge miss, but I'm just, you know, trying to see whether that, uh, whether the energy goes out of that, uh, the way the BOJ <laughs> is uh, you know, looking at, you know, they, they they see no pressure to to tighten, and they're pretty comfortable about the inflation um, inflationary environment in Japan vis a vis pretty much everywhere else in the world. I think it's two point four percent or thereabouts. So they're like, yeah, we don't care. They might care now, about the value of the abs- yen, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, they might. Uh, now, there's absolutely no smooth leap to my next or question. It's not really a question, but it's sort of more of a, a little tease of something to come. Um, now, you and I, uh, you know, aside from our love of gold, we have this secret love of energy markets happening in the background. And we've been uh, sharing information of what is going on in the natural gas market uh, over in Europe. Now, there's been some information come across that perhaps Rus- uh, Russia's gas stores are full uh, and that even the EU's gas storage might be near enough full to uh, survive for the winter. Now, this is a conversation we'd like to discuss in a little bit more depth, uh, hopefully next week or the week after. But tell me, Nick, have you gathered any preliminary thoughts on what's happening in this market? Well, I just think the interesting thing is, and I, I don't want to make any sort of you know real predictions on, on this topic sort of ahead of time because, um, you know, it, it is weather dependent and there's a whole bunch of different variables that uh, come into play, particularly as... Um, uh, as we head into the uh, northern hemisphere winter but what is interesting is what happens to russian um gas supplies if they uh I mean, they've restarted to some degree uh, the nord stream 1 kind of as expected because of course it's a huge foreign exchange earner for russia and they need foreign exchange so um you know they they they're willing to threaten and to diminish exports but cutting it off entirely um, right now um, is not a you know not a great idea. There, there's, there might be better times to cut it off, but also in the meantime um, they're accepting lots of cash for that uh, energy. But were they to cut it off, what what are the options for for Russia? And I think those are interesting things. Without having all of the answers um, to hand, when we do have this chat, it's well you know you've got to export it somewhere, or you've got to flare it off, or you've got to stop making it. And that's, I guess, those are the things, just having those conversations around just to maybe a little bit of a sanity check, saying, well, having a look at what kind of storage capacity there is, um, what kind of um, energy demand there is within Russia. There's more nat gas energy demand than there was in the past. But also, if they want to shift uh, uh, that nat gas to other markets, what kind of capacity they have. So those are the sort of things that I think, you know, we want to be looking at um, as a sort of, you know, you know, a, a light touch on on uh, what what may happen, but we certainly this is not a market where we have we're pre- going to pretend we have all the answers, but we'll we'll no. hopefully enjoy finding out a little bit. It's just become a, a side hobby for the two of us. Yes. Now, Nick, that is drawing our podcast to a close today. As I said, short and sharp. Uh, I just want to let everybody know listening that there's been a couple of requests for uh, Nick to host an AMA. So we are investigating ways to make that happen. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, stay tuned. We just want to make sure that we don't miss any of the questions sent through. Uh, I believe there is uh, one of our listeners who is very keen to ask a couple of questions. So if you receive this podcast via via email. Uh, Keep your eyes peeled. We will let you know how to send in your AMA questions. And obviously, when the AMA does actually happen, we will uh, will advise you on the podcast as well. Now, Nick, uh, I think we're going to run out of time today. We better leave it here. Good stuff. All right. No, it's uh, short short and sweet. Shot. Short and sweet. Look, Nick, as uh, as usual, absolutely fabulous. Uh, nobody can see me right now, but thanks for letting me do this with my hair in rollers uh, <laughs> and not saying anything throughout the entire podcast. I appreciate that. <laughs> not at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Nick. See you later. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to get a better understanding of the technical indicator Nick uses, the Ichimoku Cloud. It's available on most trading platforms. Alternatively, you can check the show notes over at abcrefinery.com 
forward slash podcast. Here you can sign up to receive more information from Nick Frappell, including his monthly report where he incorporates technical analysis alongside macro market commentary. That's all from us today at ABC Refinery. We look forward to seeing you next time.